Hi there. Welcome to episode 3 of the Waveback Music Podcast. Today's game is Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap for the Sega Master System. Enjoy! Hello again. This is the Waveback Music Podcast, a show where we listen to and reminisce about some of the best video game music there is. My name is Chris, and I am your host. Today's game is a very fun one for me, because while it's a very old game, it's one that I just recently discovered. It's for the Sega Master System, which means the music might be a bit on the tinny side, but the composition more than makes up for it. Let's take a listen to music from Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap. Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap was released for the Sega Master System back in 1989. Now let's take a moment to discuss the complicated Wonder Boy history. In 1986, Sega produced an arcade game called Wonder Boy, wherein a blonde kid ran around throwing hammers, eating fruit, and occasionally riding a skateboard. Things got complicated right away as Sega ported it to their various consoles. The SG-1000 got Wonder Boy, the Master System got a game called Wonder Boy here in the States, but Super Wonder Boy in Japan, while the American Game Gear port was called Revenge of Drancon. Hudson Soft acquired the rights to port Wonder Boy to other home consoles like the NES and decided to change the main protagonist to Master Higgins, who was modeled after a Hudson spokesman named Takahashi Meijin. The game was called Adventure Island. While it was essentially the same game as Wonder Boy, sequels to Adventure Island were all originals created from scratch by Hudson, and they maintained a strong gameplay link to the original. Meanwhile, the sequel to Wonder Boy was released in Japanese arcades called Wonder Boy Monsterland in 1987. It rooted itself more in action RPG tropes than the platformer style of the original. It was then ported to the Sega Master System as Wonder Boy in Monsterland, and in Japan was called Super Wonder Boy Monsterland. Then, in 1988, Sega released Wonder Boy 3 Monster Lair into arcades. Japan saw a Mega Drive release that retained the same title, but Hudson again acquired the rights to port the game to other home consoles and released it as Monster Lair for the TurboGrafx-16. Then you have today's game, which is also Wonder Boy 3, but this one is Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap. This game was unrelated to the other Wonder Boy 3 and takes place directly after Wonder Boy in Monsterland, but more on that in a bit. This time, the game was designed specifically for the Sega Master System, but Hudson again acquired rights to port, releasing the game as Dragon's Curse for the TurboGrafx-16. Just to make things especially confusing, the Japanese version of Dragon's Curse is called, you guessed it, Adventure Island. Sega also released the game on Game Gear in Japan as Monster World 2, because why not? Incidentally, while the main Adventure Island series kept going as an evolution of the original Wonder Boy gameplay, 1995's Super Adventure Island 2 for the Super NES actually adopted a gameplay style more in line with this version of Wonder Boy 3. The next game was Wonder Boy 5 Monster World 3, which means that one of those Wonder Boy 3s counts as Wonder Boy 4, but at this point who's counting? It was released for the Genesis or slash Mega Drive as Wonder Boy in Monster World. The last game to be released in this series was 1994's Japan-only Monster World 4 for the Mega Drive, dropping the Wonder Boy name entirely. There's a new game in the works that appears to be more of a direct sequel to Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap called Monster Boy and the Wizard of Booze, which Sega has no involvement in, but is being worked on by the original game's creator, and looks quite amazing. Speaking of amazing, let's talk about Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap. 
It's my theory that the people who designed Castlevania Symphony of the Night were big fans of this game because it has a lot in common, especially the way it starts. Symphony of the Night begins with the player controlling Richter Belmont through the ending sequence of Rondo of Blood, which in the American version of the game is referred to as Bloodlines, a completely different Castlevania game, but let's not delve into another rabbit's hole of bizarre naming conventions. Wonder Boy 3 starts out the same way. You take control of Wonder Boy and play through the final castle segment from the ending of Wonder Boy in Monsterland, complete with a major graphic and musical upgrade. This is one of the best looking and sounding Master System games in my opinion, which brings us to our first song, The Last Dungeon. Like I said, you're running through the last dungeon of the prior game, and much like Symphony of the Night, this song is very invigorating. It's got really great energy, and unlike a lot of Master System games, it really embraces what limited functionality there was to the Master System sound chip and, and really makes a, quite an impressive song. So while it is a bit tinny, and like I said, you're going to hear a lot of that in this episode, once you hear the music for what it is, it's really, really good. So I present to you The Last Dungeon. song has just all the way all the pieces come together is just mm, good energy right there so we're off to a strong start much like again like symphony of the night you get to the end of this castle and you fight the final boss of the previous game except this time it's relatively easy because it's the very beginning of this game you wind up as you're traveling through this castle and, and this is a very strange experience of a game because it starts off, you feel like it's going to be this medieval kind of adventure game, similar to Zelda II The Adventures of Link, or at least this is what I thought, because I didn't play any prior Wonder Boy games before this. And all of a sudden, I start walking down a hallway that's made of metal, looks like the inside of a spaceship. And then I enter a room, and all of a sudden, I'm fighting a giant mechanized dragon. Because why not? Um... And the fight seems fairly intense, just like in Symphony of the Night when you're fighting Dracula. This is this is an intense, intense battle. This is a very well-designed creature that's shooting fireballs at you, and it's a fairly simplistic pattern to 
get a grip on, but at the same time, you're a little guy with a sword and a shield trying to stab a giant mechanized dragon. The music that plays during this scene is also quite cool, and this is also the music that plays during all the rest of the boss battles throughout the game, as you'll soon as you soon realize all the battles in this game are against different dragons. And so without further ado, here is Versus Dragon. <laughs> I guess the, fir the, the first thing that really starts setting this game apart and really setting the stage for the kind of game that this is going to be is you beat this dragon and a bunch of coins start shooting out of the ether, but a little blue flame flies around, which you naturally feel like you should get, so I did, and it transformed me into a dragon, which I thought was pretty cool, until I realized that I was now stuck in this dragon form. There's, there's no changing out of it, and this becomes a theme for the rest of the game, is that the dragon's trap is actually that every time you beat one of these dragons, it forces you to take a different form, and you have to utilize the uh, attributes of these specific forms to kind of continue to traverse the rest of the world. Much like in Symphony of the Night, the way different transformations allow you to get to different areas in the game, that's exactly how it works here. Um, with the exception of the first form, which is being turned into a dragon, uh, which really doesn't afford you much besides the fact that you can breathe a little bit of fire, which doesn't have a much of a different effect than your sword and shield did. But after you defeat the dragon and you turn into a dragon yourself, you find your way out of the crumbling castle, and it goes into a little cutscene that tells you a bit about the story, uh, where you're going, where the game's going to take you, and this kind of interesting, sad, foreboding music starts playing to it really sets the stage of what's going to be happening in front of you you're you're now ready to start on the adventure because what you just played was a prologue now it is time to start the game the next track that you're going to listen to is actually two different tracks uh the first one is called and now which is the basically the the story section i was just talking about and right after that exactly as it appears in the game is monster town Monster Town is probably my favorite track in the game. It, harkening back to the first episode, if you remember what I talked about, uh, Balloon Fight, or sorry, Balloon Kid, when you're playing through that first stage and it just feels like you've got a, a whole world ahead of you and you're about to embark on an adventure, but even though things are dangerous around you, at this exact moment you feel safe. So you start playing the game again after this whole thing you're turned into a dragon and you're in monster town and it's just a town like a town in zelda 2 nothing is out to hurt you in this town but there's little crevices and doors and and places that you can get to and places that you can't get to and you think boy there's got to be some sort of power up that's going to get me into that other location and the music that plays is is just so perfect and again 
you ha- you have to hear past the instruments because this is a very high pitched tinny chirpy song but when you really hear the composition of it when you really listen to this song it just it just hits exactly right and every time you get a game over in this game which for me was quite a lot you always start back in monster town and as much as it could have made me angry every time i heard this song i was soothed and excited at the same time you hear this song and you just okay we're back we're good i'm going to try this again i'm going to do better and it's just it's the perfect song for that so here are here is our two track double feature and now slash monster town just something about that song that's that's simply magical it's so joyous to listen to and, and feels so good and i never get tired of it the next track is takes place in a desert in the clouds let me explain like i said in monster town there's lots of different doors and passageways that you can go through and one of the first things you do is you kind of jump down in this i guess almost a sewer area and you run all the way to the right through this great area uh, which we'll play the music to in just a little bit. And you get yourself a key, and then the key unlocks a different door, and you wind up climbing up this tower. And you just go up and up, and you're in the clouds, and then you go through a door, and all of a sudden, on the other side of the door is a desert. So somehow you climbed up a tower, went through a door, and there was no mountains anywhere nearby. You're just in a desert. So the only conclusion is that this whole desert world is just floating in the clouds. Which is really interesting. Um, I, I just have come to call it the desert in the clouds. And this song that plays uh, for the desert in the clouds and also the when you open up the door you have an option to go to either the left and continue through the desert or go to the right and go through this whole lava terror area which is very, very difficult and a good way to get yourself killed. So obviously I went to the left and that's where you were supposed to go in order to continue the game in the right direction or at least as far as I know. Um, so this song is called The Danger Zone, not related to, uh, Archer's favorite song, Danger Zone, 
uh, and it this is the song that plays while you're uh, traveling through the desert in the clouds. And it's a very, it's a kind of a darker song than what you were used to in Monster Town, which is totally fine. Uh, it, it really, it's it's got a good invigorating action feel to it. So enjoy the Danger Zone. through the desert and running into a lot of different uh, sunflowers that shoot fireballs at your face and snakes that look a lot like the Coprats from Super Mario Brothers 2, you come across a giant pyramid and you kind of find your way inside of it. It's not really a very difficult, puzzly kind of thing. You just kind of find your way inside and you, you work your way through until you get to a door that really takes you into the pyramid. And that's where you hear the next track, which is called The Monster's Lair. Uh, this is just another great example of the way the, this game's music works and the way it just kind of it fills you with the exact mood that you would expect from this game. It's, it's a bit on the foreboding side. It's, it's not very full of major keys, but it still it drives you to keep moving forward. And it's, and it's pretty catchy in its own right. So enjoy the next track. The Monster's Lair. Mm-hmm. 
you're making your way through the monster's lair, you fight the second dragon boss, and you turn into probably my favorite transformation in the game, but also probably the most absurd transformation in the game, you get turned into a mouse man. You're now half the size that you were, you have a sword and shield again, and you've got these goofy Mickey Mouse ears on your head. And you kind of feel like this might be a useless character or a real downgrade, and this game's just going to continue to get harder. But actually, Mouse Man's really cool because he can climb up specific walls. There are these checkerboard spots all over the place. And, and in fact, right on, on the outside of this pyramid where you were is where you first... Uh, not where you first encounter them. You see them a couple of places. You actually see them back in Monster Town. And the way the game directs you now that you're Mouse Man, you walk around and you can just kind of stick to these walls. And then you find yourself a door that warps you back to Monster Town. And so naturally, you continue to explore. So you head to the left and you find this mountain of those checkerboard blocks, which you can now get over as Mouse Man. And what's on the other side? But a forest, because this is a classic 8-bit adventure game, and what would it be without a forest level? And uh, it, it's a pretty tough pretty tough area. There's some odd-looking skeleton guys that can do dish out an awful lot of damage, uh, unless you're very careful. This is the kind of game that becomes a lot easier on the second playthrough, but I died a lot when I was playing this game, and I definitely died a lot here in the forest, but... The music in the forest was, again, very good. Uh, again, a bit foreboding, not filled with lo lots of major keys, but the kind of music that really made you want to keep going, that just drove you to continue to explore and find out what's on the other side. It's worth mentioning that this game bears a lot in mind with Metroid, which is another game that Symphony of the Night pulled a lot of inspiration from. And the feeling that I had while playing this was something that you don't get a lot in modern games, is the constant questioning of are you going the right direction because you can go anywhere in this game and the way it prevents you from moving forward in the direction you're not supposed to go yet is by killing you by just becoming too difficult for you to physically make it past and a lot of times you am I supposed to head, should I be heading to that volcanic area yet, or should I be messing around with this forest? It seems like that's where I should go, but they're all very difficult, and and it's that feeling of, of being lost, but at the same time, the excitement of exploring and, and finding the right way that really made this game special to me, and, and I would have loved this very much when I was younger, and I really appreciated it now, playing it for the first time as an adult. So... Anyway, without further ado, here is Mind of a Hero, the song that plays in the forest.
Now, much like uh, any good Metroidvania, I really hate that term, um, so I'm never going to use it again, uh, much like Metroid-style games, there's a, a decent amount of backtracking, and I mentioned this place earlier in the game. It's actually one of the first places you visit, but I wanted to save the song until later, because it's right up there with Monster Town as my favorite song in the game. It might be... Might overtake it, I don't know, it's difficult to say, but this is just a wonderful, wonderful piece of music. Um, there's an area right next to Monster Town. Uh, it's kind of um, almost like a beach type of area with a giant building at the end and a couple of palm trees. There's little crab creatures running around uh, and lots of water at the bottom that you can jump in and swim around in if you've become the fish-type character that you get, eventually get transformed into. And after you're done with the forest, I believe you come back to this area to try to get another key or something along those lines. There's <laughs> lots and lots of different secrets hidden in there. But the music to this area just... It really, really is one of the, the finest examples of what can be accomplished with Sega Master System music as far as creating a great tone and a great almost relaxed feel. This place isn't quite as dangerous as a lot of the other areas in the game, uh, unless you're really swimming around under underwater and you're incredibly ill-equipped, but because you encounter it first early in the game, it still has that kind of laid-back feel to it, and the music matches that perfectly. It's the kind of song that's just going to get stuck in your head, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. It's, it's a wonderful, joyous song, and I'm going to stop praising it and just play it, so... Here is Sidecrawler's Dance.
<laughs> I could listen to that song. I I could just listen to that song on a loop for a long, long time. That is a great, great track, and it reminds me of another Master System game. Uh, the Sonic, the version of Sonic the Hedgehog that was released for the Sega Master System has has music that reminds me a lot of that track, and it's it's the perfect middle of the day music. It's it just fills you with that sense of nostalgia. And even though I didn't play this in a time where I could have been where I could be nostalgic for it, this type of music exemplifies the best of 8-bit music to me. And it's just a, a masterful track, it really is. Now, the next track we're going to listen to is something that's frequently used in the game when you find a secret room with some sort of treasure in it. It's an interesting little tune. It's pretty different from most of what else you've heard. Uh, it's a very relaxed, very slow-paced, and very completely and totally non-threatening. Similar to Sidecrawler's Dance, where it's not a very threatening tune. Um, but this one is even more just... It's its the kind of music that plays when you know that you are absolutely safe. Nothing is going to hurt you while this music is playing. And it's a really cute little number. It's, it is pretty different from everything else in the game and just, just a joy to listen to. So here is It's a Treasure Box. brings us to the final track of today's show. Um, this track is called Endless War, which is maybe not the most fitting title for this track. Uh, this is the ending song. This is what plays after you've defeated the final dragon and become your humanized character again and, and everything seems to be going back to normal. Um, the game kind of goes back to Monster Town and the night uh, the sky becomes nighttime and uh, an epilogue kind of gets written above the buildings in very classic, classic 8-bit style. And this song is interesting because, again, it is it is absolutely nothing like anything else that was played in the game. Now, I didn't mention earlier, um, and I probably should have, but the composer of this game was a gentleman by the name of Shinichi Sakamoto. He didn't do an awful lot of other video game music, but the stuff that he did was... Um, are largely related to the Wonder Boy franchise. He did uh, Wonder Boy in Monster Land. He also did the other version of Wonder Boy 3. And he did this game. And this song here as the ending really just kind of goes to show the diversity that he was capable of. 
because again it is is so different from everything else you hear in the game and at the same time it fits right in because it's the way the stage is set with the visuals it really just matches everything that happens in the ending um it's it's kind of a melancholy tune but not quite Mega Man 2 credit sequence uh melancholy it's just kind of a nice song and a, and a good way to to send you off after having completed this rather difficult and extremely entertaining adventure. So, here is Endless War. Again, a really interesting track and, and a very good end credits track. There was a lot of uh, classic 8-bit games that had very energetic and interesting uh, kinds of music that played over the credits. And to go this route, to go with just kind of a sad farewell music was a, an interesting choice. And, and I liked it. I appreciated it quite a bit. So that's going to do it for our show. Wonder Boy 3 is currently available on the Wii Virtual Console, and I cannot recommend it enough. If you have a Master System, uh, if you have a Power-Based Converter and a Retron 5, if you have yourself a Wii, if you have yourself a Wii U, do yourself a favor and try this game. If you like retro games, you won't regret it. <sighs> so the next episode will be another live show, and the game is going to be Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It's not for a few weeks yet, so be sure to send your memories of Sonic 2 to mail at geekade.com. That's mail at g-e-e-k-a-d-e dot com. Also check out all the other great content we have on the site over at geekade.com, and thank you very much for listening.